This is How I Built My Audience with Blake Immel. Hello, I'm Blake, and today on the show, we'll be getting free consulting from Packy McCormick. Packy is the writer of the Not Boring newsletter, which he works on full-time. He's also super active on Twitter. You can find him at PackyM, and even on Clubhouse nowadays. Not Boring currently has over 32,000 subscribers and continues to grow rapidly. Here are three things you're going to learn in this one. First, how to start a newsletter in 2021. Second, what platform you should host it on. And third, how to turn your newsletter into a full-time job. Now enough recap, let's roll the interview. This is going to be a fun one because we haven't really touched on Substack yet with our guests. So this is going to be very informative for people looking to build a list specifically through Substack. It's obviously the same as other newsletters that you could build, but it's got some different functionalities and we'll talk about that. But first off, Packy, I would love to start out strong with what you think is your absolute weakest skill that you actually still have to use on a regular basis. Oh my God, that's a good question. I would say design. I, every single essay that I write, I, I go into Figma and I try to put together some interesting graphics. They're awful. And I think that's maybe part of the charm, but yeah. I, it's maybe the most fun I have doing the whole thing, but I'm, I'm terrible at it. Oh, that's strong answer. Love it. So design for marketers, that's, I think across the board, we can all pretty much relate to that. But we're going to focus on building an email list. We're going to focus on Twitter. So let's dive right into it. I like to start chronologically, get to the v- the beginning of your story, at least on the audience building part of your story. So sure. was Twitter kind of like the first platform you started caring about? Have you diversified more? Where, where did you start? Like, what did you pay attention to first? Yeah. So I've been lurking on Twitter for a decade. I mean, I think probably when I started writing, I had about 300 followers on Twitter in 2019. I took a writing course, signed up for Substack, started growing it that way, started with friends and family, asked people to share. But because I had Twitter and because there were so few people following, it didn't hurt to just spam my Twitter feed. So I was putting everything that I wrote out. I was doing like the early normal tricks on Twitter where I tagged everybody. It was it used to be a kind of a links aggregated, aggregation uh, newsletter. So I would tag everybody. Sometimes somebody would like it and I would just get so ecstatic. But slowly over time, it slowly built and then it hit a spot both on the newsletter, uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, and on Twitter, where at some point it just gets to a certain size where it just starts growing automatically because people are like, oh, he has 2,000 followers. There must be something here, even if I'm the same idiot that I was when I had 300 (laughs) followers. But I, I think there's definitely value in picking your platform. I need to do a better job. And I think this year will be, uh, that'll be one of the goals of distributing the content in different places. I use LinkedIn a little bit. I cross posts on some other spots, but Twitter is really the main one for me. So let's set, set the stage a little bit for where you're at right now on Twitter. So how many followers do you have? And then how many Substack subscribers do you have? Yeah, so I think I'm in the rare class of people who have more Substack subscribers than Twitter followers, but I think I have 21,000 on Twitter and right about 31,000 on Substack. And did you, so did you mention you, you started Twitter being more aggressive on Twitter first and then moved on to Substack or did you start the newsletter at the exact same time or before? pretty much around the same time. I think I probably started messing around with Twitter a little bit more beforehand, but not for any real reason, not to grow anything. Frankly, 
both came about because I was bored at, at work at my last job. And so during the day, I would just play with Twitter. And then I saw on Twitter that David Perel had a writing course. And so I was like, you know what, I'll take that. And then I, I started the, the writing from there. So Twitter came a little bit earlier, but with no real kind of goal in mind. Do you think you could have grown your Twitter to what it is or even grown it at all without the newsletter? Plenty of people certainly have. Some people just go straight to the thread and don't have anything anything else on top of that. So certainly people can grow their Twitter following. I think for me, the two are super symbiotic. Twitter is a great place to have a conversation around what I write and to help spread the message. And then I could not write you know, the 9,000 word pieces that I do on Twitter. So Substack is it's a great space for, for that. For sure. Before we get into specifics of Substack, let's just go general email list building because there are a lot of people that are listening in right now that are either at zero or at 10. And those 10 are their mom, their friends, yep. whoever. Okay. So I'm just starting out. You're giving me a consultation. I've paid you a hefty fee to be my consultant. And I want you to tell me the common tips that you hear about building a list. But let's actually start with common tips you hear that actually you think are not true or that are not worth doing. Gosh, I think there's so much that falls into that category and it, it really depends on what you're trying to do with the newsletter. I started out just wanting to connect with people and, and having a place to to write. And so anything that felt really growth hacky, I've avoided. I think you can certainly grow a big mailing list that way, but that's not what I've been going for. I'd, I'm definitely quanti- quality over quantity person for the newsletter, although certainly I've tried a lot of growth hacks as well. But I'd say really try to be you know authentic and don't trick people into signing up for your newsletter because then you're just going to be gutted every week when people unsubscribe because it's not what they signed up for. And so I'd rather build a little bit more slowly. For me, starting out, just you were saying with the first 10 people being your mom, I actually tweeted out because I had to get 20 people for the writing course. I tweeted out, please help me. Please (laughs) subscribe to this thing because I don't want to ask people one-on-one. I like broadcasting a lot more than I like sales. So I asked people to sign up. I got 22 people, I think, received the first email or somewhere around that number. And from there, it was really slow growth. If I had 20 people sign up in a month, I was ecstatic. And so it's a really slow process. If I were to consult you on growing, I would actually probably give back your money and, and give you the most kind of basic common advice, which is find something unique and interesting to write about and then just keep doing it. I would say also find find your unique way of doing it and something that you have fun doing. And that depends on obviously the context for what I'm doing, where it's really just long form essays that I'm writing myself. I think that's good advice. Obviously, if you're trying to grow something for a business or uh, you have some goal besides, I just want to get my thoughts out there and build an audience around that. Then there's different tricks that you can use and go to where your audience is and all of that. But for me, it was really just about what am I going to have fun writing every week? Because it, it is like 50 hours of writing a week. So it better be something that I'm enjoying. That, that, that was my next question really is like how often you actually publish. And then my follow-up question to that would be, on days or weeks where you, you're human, right? You're not an alien. So (laughs) there are going to be days where you don't have it, I'm assuming. What on earth do you do? Because I fall into this a lot of times with a podcast, with writing emails, whatever it is. If you just hit a day where you're like, man, I don't want to do this at all. How do you actually still ship on those days? I don't. Um, I guess I I leave myself enough leeway in the schedule where my wife and I had this conversation. We were driving yesterday and she was like, all right, she's very ops-minded. And she's like, all right, let's fix your process so you're not writing at the last second every time before you send. So I I send every Monday and Thursday, which means that really every Sunday and every Wednesday is just a full-on sprint to get something out. Even if I've known that I had that thing to do for 
weeks, it ends up, I, I need that pressure. So that's the number one tip is just set yourself a deadline and, and really try to be religious about sticking to that deadline. Some people can do every two months randomly when they have a really good idea, they'll write. And that's certainly one way of doing it. But if you want to be consistent, I would say, give yourself a day. Otherwise, some days I'll sit in front of my computer, scroll Twitter for hours and not get anything out. And I'll feel mad at myself because I've wasted a day, but I can't imagine that I could just sit at the computer and produce all the time and still enjoy doing it. So the process has to be inherently leaky. Yeah, for me, for me, one thing that I'll add in here that I've found out for myself, I start things all the time. I don't always finish them. And one reason why is because I don't ask myself up front the question enough of, could I actually do this for three years straight? And sometimes with a podcast, I think I, I, I can do that because I've done that before. But for certain other things, I've had to actually just tell myself, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So even if it's a good idea, I don't. And that, that can save you a lot of heartbreak down the road for anyone listening. But okay. Totally. So why Substack? How did you decide Substack was the platform for you versus other things? How did you decide on your business model using Substack? I want to go into the technicalities there for anybody in that process right now. Sure. So really use Substack because as part of the writing course that I took, they said use Substack. And I think the reason that they recommended it and the reason that I would still recommend it if you're getting started today is it's really easy. And so you don't have to do any integrations. You don't have to do any code. You don't have to do really any anything. And there's not very many options. It's really sit down, write, and hit send. Uh, and so I think there's something really nice about that. I've, I've talked about potentially getting off of Substack for a while, but I just keep getting pulled back by the fact that it's really easy. So I'll have to make that transition at some point, but I'd say at the very beginning, particularly if this is not going to be your full-time thing for a while, Substack is absolutely the best way to just get started. But obviously there are really other great tools to use. If I use ConvertKit, then I could segment my audience better and have better metrics. And so there's definitely trade-offs. Yeah. And that I'm curious, like within what you're saying there. So Substack's really easy to use. That's another key indicator of what kind of platform you should use is just what's going to be easy for you, what you'll actually use. That is usually a, a factor in like how successful you'll be because you'll stay onto it. But were there any other platforms that you did consider at, at that point or was it just like, nope, Substack? Not at that point, but I've definitely looked at MailChimp and ConvertKit mm -hmm. uh, and Ghost even as I've grown it and thought about whether this is actually going to be my full-time thing and, and my business if I want to be on Substack. And they're all, I think, probably Ghost and ConvertKit are in the lead for where I would go next just because I, I need a little bit more customization at this point. And, and now that there's an actual business here, I could justify having someone more technical help me out with it. But those are the big four that I would that I think about. Let's let's talk about the business of the newsletter because it's easy to say, I'm going to start a newsletter. You can write it, whatever, but it needs to convert into something. There's got to be something that, that there's a purpose behind it. So what is your purpose behind it? What's the end goal? So if I sign up for Not Boring, what do you hope to get from me as an audience member and what are you selling externally? Yeah, I'm doing it all free. So the the first year that I did it, it was just a fun side thing that I, I wanted a place to think and write in public every week and get over the fear of putting what I wrote out in public and all of that. And so I didn't start with any business model in mind. Then last year when I decided to maybe think about doing this a little bit more and maybe think about doing it full time, 
I gave myself a goal of getting to 5,000 free subscribers and then turning on paid subscriptions. Once I hit that point, I realized that I liked the growth too much and that free is really great for growth because everybody can read and share everything that you write. And again, if I'm putting in that much time to have that go to a 1,000 person audience, it would just be a little bit heartbreaking. And so decided to keep it free, then said stuff free and some stuff paid. But the biggest bottleneck is my time. So I decided just to try ads and see if there was anything there. So I was talking to one sponsor. They asked me for statistics on my audience. I had nothing because I don't get that out of yeah. out of Substack and yeah. just, you know, typically wouldn't have that. I don't think you'd really get that out of other platforms as well. So I surveyed my audience and I put together just a, a quick and dirty, simple deck. Uh, and since I had already done that, I was like, you know what, let me just tweet this deck out and see if I can get any sponsors from this deck. And that really filled up, that was like September or late August. And that really filled up the three months remaining in 2020. So that was pretty amazing. Didn't, again, anything that I can do to do broadcasts or, or marketing instead of sales, I'll do. Really try to just work with the sponsors themselves to figure out what sponsorship looked like, what rates should be. That's definitely been more kind of finger in the air than anything mathematical. Started out with a rate, talked to somebody who said I should go a little bit higher. I went a little bit higher. It worked. And then I've grown that as the audience has grown. So now really I make money in a couple of different ways. One is just a typical top of the newsletter sponsorship where I write 150 words and have uh, the company's logo. The other which is something that I was really hesitant about, but I think is working pretty well, is that I'll do a sponsored deep dive on companies. And so that's, call it four times more expensive than just sponsoring the regular newsletter, but I'll do a deep dive on your business and why I think it's special and interesting and why I think the audience should care about it. And that I think has actually been a lot better received than I had expected. I was a little bit worried that it felt like selling out, but I set a criteria for myself that I'm only going to write about companies that I would actually invest in. And so I, I'm not just going to go to the highest bidder. I've turned down people who've wanted to pay me more than I've made on any of them. And I just didn't think, even if I like the company, if I didn't think the story was interesting, I won't do it. But those are those end up being a huge piece of the, the revenue. And I have some really interesting, exciting ones lined up on that front. And so that's really, it's just sponsorships and then these deep dives. And then in addition to that, I have an, to help tell their stories. I did that and realized that there was demand to start investing in these companies. So launch a syndicate, but that's really more analogous to getting, you know, equity options at a startup and maybe one day it pays off and maybe one day it doesn't. But I think it's a really fun way to be more interactive and create some upside from this thing. How many sponsorship slots do you have going on at the time? So in each newsletter, I'll do one sponsorship. Okay, cool. And and shifting to like the ideas front of it. So are you more likely to have a kind of idea funnel, more like idea to Twitter to Substack or idea translates into Substack, which gets distilled into Twitter? The latter. So I, I really have a, a Rome document with a list a mile long of ideas Every kind of Wednesday or Thursday, I'm like, all right, great. What am I going to write about on Monday? I always go back to that list. Everything on that list is all of a sudden seems stale to me. So I don't write on that list. And then I sit there and bang my head against the wall and figure out what I'm going to write about that week. But I I don't know. I I have this weird thing in my head where I want to keep it semi-secret what I'm going to write about. And so I don't like testing it on Twitter. I like to just drop it as a full post. And then from there, I'll distill it down on Twitter. And so you you use your Substack as validation and then the, the Twitter afterwards as opposed to what usually people will be like, all right, I'm going to tweet a tiny little bit here, see if that resonates and then I'll go long form on it. So that's an interesting way. And I think not a lot of people have the guts to do that because it is easier to get the validation on the Twitter side for sure. 
Totally. I, I think that's probably actually the smarter way to do it. <laughs> I've just put this weird idea in my mind that I like to have yeah. it go out on Substack first. And so that's what I've done, but I'll do little teasers. I'm not sure when this is going live, but for example, on Thursday, I'm writing about Masterworks, which is a company that, that allows you to buy fractional shares of, of pieces of fine art. Mm-hmm. And so I asked on Twitter yesterday, what percent of people's portfolio they allocate yeah. to art or whether they allocate anything to art and that will go into the piece. No, yeah, th- this will come out after that. So you're good. There's, there's good. no spoilers here. I'm the only one that'll know. <laughs> I got a couple more questions around uh, the not boring newsletter before we, we wrap things up. You were the number two product on Product Hunt for the newsletter. Lots of products on there are software or things that you can actually use and get your hands on. So what was the strategy for you? Did you hunt it yourself? Did you get somebody else to hunt it? How did you write the copy so that it would be engaging? And ultimately, how did you get people to click onto that knowing that it was a newsletter and it might not inherently seem as clickable as like a product. Totally. That was shocking. First of all, that we got to to number two. So that came about, I was working with a friend of mine who was thinking about leaving his company. So he's like, let me help out with the the newsletter a little bit. And so I had the idea in the back of my head about launching on Product Hunt. And he was like, oh, we have to launch on Product Hunt. If this works, it really works. And so we studied a few different people who had launched their newsletters on Product Hunt. We realized that you still need to treat it like a software launch. You need to have images. You need to have a, a GIF of your logo and do all of those things to get people to click on it. But I think really the thing that that worked best for Product Hunt was that at that point, let's say I had a thousand subscribers and it was a really engaged list of people. And so we launched the Product Hunt on Thursday morning and then I wrote an email explaining why we were launching on Product Hunt, why we built a landing page separately from Substacks and just some of the kind of shortcomings of Substack at the time, and then asked people to go support. And so I think there was this really nice flywheel where I've talked to people who want to get their newsletter up and running, get to a hundred people and then go out and to product hunt because that'll help them grow really quickly. I don't think that works as well as once you already have at least a small engaged community in place so that those people can go and comment and say, I really like reading this and all of those things. And that helps shoot it up the ranks. But frankly, we also got lucky. And I think that really helps just keep you up near the top and then more people click and all of that. But it went from a thousand to 3000 subscribers over the course of a couple of days after a year of doing it. So it was really, it was a rush for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, product hunt does work if you do it, but it can also really flop. <laughs> totally. So, so when I saw that, I was like, wow, that it's really hard for information products to crush it because you got 700 or something votes, which is a lot. Was it, it was, what day of the week did you launch it on, by the way? Was it a weekday or a weekend? It was a Thursday. Okay. That, yeah. So that if you launched it on a weekend, you'd only gotten like 200 up votes. <laughs> totally. I think the other thing too is, you know, like after that, I saw, I've noticed a lot of people do product hunt and I think, it can help, but I feel like the 75th newsletter that does product on is just going to get less, less extraordinary returns from that than the second newsletter that does product on. And so I think the bigger lesson for me from that was just trying new things and just, you know, looking at how other things grow, looking at how software products grow and going to try that. But I need to get a lot better at that this year as well, which is just like, how do normal businesses grow and how can I apply that to not boring? One, one thing that I want to finish on is it's something that you do particularly well with the newsletter. Most people focus on how am I going to get more subscribers into the newsletter so that I can then sell products. That's the general model that people care about. That's the growth hack. Everything goes into that part of it. But then there's this other half where, okay, I've got the subscriber base. How do I keep them? 
How do I make them happy on a regular basis so they don't unsubscribe? How do I keep making this better so that it's because like a software will always get updates. So you, the product's getting better inherently every single day. How do you do that for the newsletter? And then I, after you answer that question, let's get into the referral program because I think that feeds into this too. For sure. And that's, this is like the thing that keeps me up at night for sure. Every week, I think that the thing that I sent out is the worst thing that I've ever written. I feel each and every week when I hit send for the most part, but I think it's about less about even improving. I think that'll happen naturally just as you do it and more about not letting myself degrade. I think that's really the big thing for me where if I get really comfortable and I'm like, yeah, I've done this for the past hundred weeks, so I'll figure it out. It'll be totally fine. And then I put less effort into it and less work into it. And the product slowly degrades. And I'm like, ah, you know, there's 31,000 people here. It'll just grow naturally, whatever. So I think it's more about the fact that I just feel lucky that I'm still constantly nervous about the quality of the newsletter. And I think just that kind of nervousness helps. But then, you know, there's also these kind of reinforcing things that help, which is the people who read the newsletter understand the style that I have and what I'm interested in. So people will help give me ideas. And I have more people now that I can go to, to write about the ideas and and to give me insights uh, on a topic that they know about better than I do. So I think the community, even though it's more of an audience in a community for sure, and I think communities overused, but I think the group of people who read and are involved with Not Boring certainly help enhance the product over time. So let's, let's translate that into the referral program because this is something that I noticed on the website and it's really well laid out. So if you go onto your website and look at the Not Boring Email referral program, on the left-hand side, you've got all the top leaderboard of like how many people have referred it and on the right-hand side, the prizes that you can get. How easy or hard was that to set up? How far along in the process or when did you actually set it up? And what was the tech stack used? Everything. I want to know everything about this so that people can take what you're doing with that referral program and apply it to their own newsletter. Totally. So that was actually another thing that I worked on with Tommy, the guy who helped with with Product Hunt. And he did a lot of the, the technical work on it. And, and really it was simple. It was, we launched a landing landing page. I think it's called Usmo now instead. And so that's, if you go to notboring.email, that's just a landing page set up on Usmo. And then the referral program just uses Growsurf. And we actually had to recreate the landing page in Webflow. And then we got some real threads swag to, to send out to, to the winners. If I were to do it from scratch, I would just start with the Webflow page, build a simple landing page. And then Growsurf is really easy where you just plug in a little bit of JavaScript and it'll populate the leaderboard and and everything there and give people their unique tracking links. So and there's we don't have much time left, but there's a ton that you can go to on the referral program. I would say it started out really hot because there was latent demand, I think, to share. And I actually don't even know if the swag was really the thing that made people want to share. I think it's the leaderboard and just wanting to be helpful and, and nice, which I really appreciate. But I've, it's something that I've stopped promoting as much just because I have ads in there now and I have an intro section and I can't load up the top of the email with too many things. And I just felt like having to explain how the referral program works because it's not as easy as if it were just a Substack thing where if you hit forward, it gets tracked. Please Substack, if you're listening, just add that in. Because otherwise, whenever I explain the referral program, I would have to say, here's how it works. Go to this page, go to the bottom, copy your link, blah, 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 and then share it. And then here's what happens. And so that just took up too much space for me to keep pushing it. And again, I think it's more about keeping the quality high than growing the audience at this point for me. I think that's happening as a byproduct of the work. So I'd rather not load the top up too much with referral program stuff. All right. We've loaded the audience up with info here. So let's, let's just stop right there. And I want to give you a chance to chat about what you're working on right now, where they can find Not Boring. And if there's anything else that you're working on that you want to chat about, floor is yours. 
Yeah, really, this is it, which is crazy to me, but this is it. Notboring.substack.com comes out every Monday and Thursday. And Mondays, I write about either big companies or trends. Thursdays is about startups that either we're investing in or, or some of these sponsored deep dives. Uh, so go subscribe, notboring.substack.com. Uh, and otherwise, you know, for accredited investors, we have a syndicate on AngelList, which has been really fun. Awesome. All right, again, Packy McCormick. Go find him on Twitter. What's your handle? Uh, at Packy M. Easy enough. All right, go follow him at Packy M. And we're going to stop right there. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to How I Built My Audience. If you found something noteworthy or interesting in this episode, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And hey, share it with a friend.